0: Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida.
1: <laughs> part two of Errol Flynn with Rita and Zoe. We are going to be building on the information given in part one. So if you have not listened to that, I advise you to go back and listen to that first. That part will take you from really the kind of the beginning of Flynn's life his childhood, his absolutely bonkers, bonkers adolescence and young manhood uh, into his early days in Hollywood and his initial success. So I really kind of consider that part one of Flynn. Uh, we're going to go to part two, which will be the war years. World War II is broken out. United States is not yet in. We're holding that isolationism. But the actors in Hollywood who were from England and or the colonies were called the British Colony in Hollywood. Hmm. And they were comprised of people like Flynn, uh, David Niven, Ronald Coleman, you, just, you know, people who really came from England and were just living in Hollywood to work. And when England went into the war, or was basically being threatened certainly by, by Germany, these actors dropped what they were doing and they enlisted. So uh, like Leslie Howard and David Niven, you know, all got active and a lot of them became RAF fighter pilots or officers or whatever. And Flynn tried to get in to the, probably the Navy, uh, and he was rejected because they found that he had some TB in his lungs Hmm. and he had been having recurrent malaria attacks since he had Uh, been in Papua Papua New Guinea. So he had uh, problems with malaria, which can be very, very debilitating.
0: Yeah, and just last your entire life. Exactly. Once you get the virus, it never really goes away. Right,
1: exactly. You can only manage it to the best possible Hmm. way. So, but... The Hollywood uh, studio, the Warner Brothers studio, did not want to reveal this information because he's a swashbuckler, he's a Western star, he's, you know, a man's action. man, action man's man, and they didn't want anyone to know that he had these illnesses and that he was had these weaknesses in physically. And so what happened, though, which I think it would have been better for the people to know, is that he got a lot of insults. And mockery because he was shirking his duty as a as a subject, and that as a man he should have been in there fighting. And Flynn actually did to his credit. He has been accused of being a Nazi spy. He's been accused of being uh, you know shirking and being a coward. But on this plane, I have to say I don't see any evidence from Anybody who really knew him or from himself that he was anything but willing because that's that's a man's
0: man, that's yeah, honestly what guys say... do. He can go and be with his buddies, and it he can might fight. be have been good for him, it That's what I'm be. thinking. That like maybe it was to his Detriment, detriment that he didn't get enlisted, right? He well, might have gotten out of him out of drinking so much. And... Could could
1: have been, or he probably would have been one of those guys who did the pranks and was the wacky the wacky guy. But everyone would kind of go, oh, you know, this is this is this is our this is what guys do, you know, and what men do, and you know, he certainly would have had it plenty of pull to be, you know, to be he'd be an officer and all that. So anyway, he really took a lot of shit for that, and that. Being the sensitive guy that he is and being, you know, sensitive about his masculinity, that was really, really difficult for him. And he ended up being in all of these um, these films about the, the war and he's the hero and everyone really mocked him about that, which I think is really too bad. <clears throat> so during this period, he was in a couple, he had a couple of uh, films that were really quite, uh, quite, uh, pretty
0: good. I won't say quite good, but that we liked very mm-hmm. well. And one was Dive Bomber. That was one of the first ones. Yeah. And it's in Technicolor as well, and it's kind of, it's it's almost documentary-like it was or, intended or biopic-like. To be. Like, yeah. Well, it's intended to be uh,
1: an informational film and propaganda film, too, about, uh, this, the invention of a plane that would be able to fly no invention of a technique so that when bombers go high up in the air they don't faint from lack of oxygen yes because what was happening even with the oxygen masks uh the the pressure was not being kept up i guess it wasn't a lack of oxygen it was a lack of pressure and it was making them faint because the blood couldn't get to their head or something but anyway they this Pilots were dying; issue. they were crashing because they would they would faint up there, and so it was a uh, very real life about yeah. a real problem that had been solved. So he play, he plays a military surgeon who ends up going to the a uh, uh, top flyer to work together to create a solution for this because as a surgeon he was seeing these uh, deadly crashes and so forth. And he starts with Fred McMurray. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! Yeah, <laughs> Fred McMurray, who is the star of Double Indemnity, and. Those of us who are in my generation know him uh, from My Three Sons as the as the perfect dad, as uh-huh. the perfect low-key dad. But anyway, he does a lot of films like that and uh, things that are over in the, um, the spies and the Europe and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then we we hit a, a period, a, a very dramatic incident in his life in uh, 1942 where he's only 33 years old. He's filming Gentleman Jim, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, and it's about Gentleman Jim Corbett, who was the boxer who supposedly, whether it's true or not, but he certainly was the first one to popularize boxing as a science. Boxing is the sweet science, as we call it, with the jabbing and the and the fancy footwork and everything. Before it had just been two brutes just going in and slugging the shit out of each other with bare knuckles. So this is a biopic of Gentleman Jim. And Flynn, and this is so interesting, this really shows his, the dichotomy in his personality where he's very flip about everything and acting and blah, 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 yeah. <laughs> woohoo! I'm going to just drink and be crazy but if you look at his performance you see in it you see real care given to the characterization of gentleman jim down to i was watching the boxing matches and i thought oh that doesn't look that looks kind of that looks fake and then i looked and if you do this you can go on and you can see gentleman jim corbett they have films of him Mm -hmm. boxing and flynn somehow must have gotten a hold of those or he got a coach or he found somebody to help him because he does it just like Gentleman Jim. Yeah. Down to the boxing technique. So somewhere in there he really put his heart into doing these roles still at this time. But while they were filming one of the the climactic boxing scenes where he's fighting John L. Lewis, Flynn suddenly had a somewhat minor luckily heart attack while he was in the ring. So they take him to the hospital. So now he's got heart problems. And they told him, with all the things that are wrong with you, the heart problem and his liver, at this point already, was getting shredded. Mm. And the malaria and the TB. They told him, well, you probably only live about three months.
0: Three months? Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, and luckily, he managed to live 17 more years. But And and he probably only died when he did by dint of his efforts at killing himself, really. Yeah,
0: Um, yeah, that's what they told him. And so that created a whole psychic pressure on him. That's in, so interesting, too, is the dichotomy between what he symbolizes as this physical, like... Perfection. Agile, yeah. yeah, like, guy, the perfect specimen. <laughs> and uh, and then the reality of his completely just riddled with illness. Exactly.
1: And what's interesting, though, is even though he had all these things, and this is so Flynn. Does he get a second opinion? No. <laughs> does he get a third opinion? No. No. <laughs> so, later on, when somebody looked at me and said, yeah, you know, your liver's a mess, and but this was years later... Where he'd been drinking and drugging. Yeah, you're, you're a mess. You're, your liver's a mess and all this. But if he'd gotten a second opinion, I'll bet they wouldn't have said that he was going to die in three months. Yeah. I'll bet you anything. But no, he just go, kind of goes with that. And so, so he decides mm-hmm. to be more hedonistic because he's going to die anyway, you know? So he allows those things to fuel that energy, which I think ultimately came from the lack of love, the sexual grooming, and whatever level of abuse he suffered. Really created a self hatred, and that's, in my opinion, exactly what happened with Marlena because she admitted that she had been sexually abused, mm-hmm. and um, she also was, uh, if not solely a lesbian, she was at least bisexual. And a place where you couldn't be generally openly wouldn't have it would have been a pariah. Mm-hmm. And so having all this oppression can go inside and really make you hate yourself because you 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 can't be who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that that. At this point he took anything he could get to try to, to harm himself really. Yeah with what he was doing and to deaden himself and self medicate his pain. So anyway, the gentleman Jim he recovered pretty quickly and they were able to finish the film. Film is really good. Then we go on he does quite a few films in nineteen forty three, forty four. The United States enters the war, he still can't get into the army, people still make fun of him. And then probably the pivotal incident of his life occurs. Hmm. A young woman through her mother, I guess, who's underage, like 16, 17, accuses him of statutory rape. Now, if you don't know what statutory rape is, it means that even if the person you're having sex with consented with you, they are not capable of consent. And by law, it is rape. Mm-hmm. And so that's the case with underaged people who don't have the ability to consent. And the age of consent was still 18 at that point? I think it might even been 21, but which is okay. kind of high.
0: It is kind of high.
1: Yeah. But she was definitely under 18. And then what happened was then another woman came forward and said, he did that to me too. And so it went to court. It's a very interesting case. He was exonerated, but apparently they said it just destroyed him. His friend said that the case destroyed him. I think that it's hard to say, did it really happen or didn't. It's pretty hard to say. He was proven Mm -hmm. to be not guilty.
0: And I think one thing you said to me was, it doesn't really matter if this specific case was true or not. He definitely had sex with underage women. Mm Mm-hmm. So. He did do that. Um, Although at this
1: point, how often he may have done it, or if he was really even aware, it's hard to say. A lot of it is that apparently what happened... Is that there really wasn't evidence in these cases, which is why he got off. Mm-hmm. There actually wasn't evidence to support what happened. And normally the studio would take care of even people who were totally guilty and did terrible things. They'd do it all the time. They'd get them off. They'd, you know, because the studios had so much power with the police and the government. But the government at this time was at odds with the studios. They were having a political battle. Oh, yeah. And what happened was they figured they'll go after Flynn, who's one of the biggest stars, to show Hollywood. Who the boss is? Interesting. So the existence of the trial, based on the evidence that they had, only existed because there was a political battle going on. They
0: were trying to make an example of him. Exactly. That's exactly right. Do you know what the dispute kind of was? Was It was just power. It it didn't have
1: anything to do with him. I, I read about it. I forget now. Uh, wasn't that interesting. Maybe it had to do with taxes or I, I don't know what. But probably money. Or Yeah, it probably had to do with that uh, the studio backed a different candidate and the wrong, wrong candidate won and he was trying to show them who's something like that. Not literally. I don't know that that was it, but it was something along those lines. But it didn't really have anything to do with morality. Or you know what might have been is that the, this is starting to come back to me, is that The Legion of Decency and these groups were starting to say, oh, they're all immoral over in Hollywood, and so maybe the government was trying to say, oh, well, we're going to crack down, and we'll take care Mm. of it, and so rather than, you know, they are very reactive. So I have to give him sympathy on this one, because it shouldn't have gone to trial, but it did. He was acquitted. Not Lily White, like I said. He probably was doing it, and then he became the butt of jokes. Everything became about that. It completely tarnished his personality, and... I'm sorry, but I kind of think he asked for it. He's kind of set himself up, mm-hmm. like just like he did with his wife, his ex-wife, with that contract to destroy himself. He didn't like it. He didn't want it. Yet he kind of, you know, he would have naked women swimming out to his boat, and he'd pull them on, and they'd have sex, and he would, you know, have his friend go and
0: get women for him, and, and he was absolutely careless about himself and others. That facade of pretending I don't care about anything, nothing right. really, because nothing really matters. Whatever, it doesn't hurt me. Right, right. It's no big deal. Really you know. gets him in trouble. Right, yeah. And
1: he was. I mean, let's face it. He 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 had the retrograde attitudes toward women and toward non-white people mm-hmm. that me, so many men of his time did. You know, and so that really creates a carelessness. But I think it really emanates from his own carelessness about himself. Because somebody who values their own soul and their own character doesn't do stuff like that. Even if, even if they think about it, even if they would like to, they they don't behave that way. And this just goes to show you: this is exactly the kind of thing that he did. He during the trial he noticed this pretty young, I think she was seventeen, uh, mm. Nora Eddington. Behind the candy counter, she was a clerk. And he sends Buster Wiles, our old buddy Buster Wiles, over to talk to her to try to get her to come and visit him. Well, she did. She was a virgin. He ended up having sex with her, apparently fairly rough sex, I guess. It's, you know, kind of shook her up. But she was into him. And she became his second wife after the trial was over. And what happened was, is he had sex with her. She, uh, her father was a sheriff. Wow. And the mother, and they, they loved Flynn. They loved him. Oh yeah, go with him. Go with yeah. Go on a ride with him. Go over to his house. You know, they'd let her go to his house alone. You know, and until you know that on some level they were just grooming her for this. And you know, he gave him money and. So the parents were fine with was was it. Charming, it? sure, yeah.
0: yeah, in good position, maybe I yeah. don't
1: know. He said he didn't want to get married. I don't think he was capable of not being married. Oddly enough, because uh, he married her, and then uh, and the reason he married her was because she was pregnant, and he was trying to have her uh, have an abortion or uh, have the child in Mexico and kind of shun it off to the side, but. Then the newspapers got a hold of it, so he had to go down to Mexico and marry her because of the newspapers, right? And so he never um, really—they never really lived together. She had to have a separate house. He didn't want uh, her—apparently, I don't know, it was all convoluted. Sometimes she was in the house, sometimes she wasn't, but he had a separate place. And then there was the boat, and she'd go on the boat with him, and it it just never— it wasn't like a real relationship, not really. Yeah. And, although she would disagree, and in the uh, documentary, she was saying how much she loved him, even though they were divorced a right. long time. How she just loved him and how wonderful it was, and he taught yeah. her everything. He taught her
0: everything, yeah, and he brought her up in terms of her sophistication and tasting of wines and things yeah. like that. And it's quite possible he did, but he was having women flowing right and left. Even while she was on the boat, he would have women there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that rape trial was the turn kind of like his uh his uh, health diagnosis with his heart diagnosis where he's like i don't care anymore I'm uh, going to die soon anyway. Yeah. He's kind of like, well, I already went to trial. Well, and he's like, well, if you think that's that's how I am, yeah. let me show you. Like somehow he's, he's it's cutting off
1: the nose to spite your own face. He wasn't hurting anybody else but himself. Mm-hmm. But it was like his middle
0: finger to the world. Well, he might have been hurting other people, but he was really well, hurting himself. I, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's true. I meant rep, reputationally. Got it. Yeah, I did. I, you're absolutely right on that one. But
1: it, it wasn't like he was getting back at the reporters who were insulting him or making fun right. of him or whatever. And so, uh, so, so Nora ended up having two children. Uh, let's see, one was named Deidre, and the other Rory. And apparently, he was this doting father, and oh, he's just a doting, loving father. But he was never there. Was he showing up? Yeah. Yeah. Was he showing up? No, he wasn't. He wasn't hardly ever there. And Nora did go out on the boat with him, and he went on a expedition with his dad. This is so sad. I think he made this expedition up purposely so that he could take his dad on a marine biology expedition together and just like he was really excited about it and and it ended up I don't think it was on this trip and I don't know exactly when it happened but at one point his father actually discovered a new species Errol Flynn's father yeah a, a fish hmm. and he named it uh, let's see he named it Gibbonsia eroli so he named it after Errol so hmm. you can imagine how much that must have meant to him and uh, so basically it was trying to have family life, and it just wasn't working. And he was really going off. I mean, he was having doctors come out and give him shots of narcotics on a regular basis and drinking. And at this point, he really started kind of to lose it after after the rape trial. And he was doing things where, like, Michael Curtis refused to ever work with him again. That was done. The new director who tended to work with him more is Raoul Walsh, who was, again, guy's guy, but he seemed to understand Errol a little bit better. But he was trying to make sure Errol would show up for... He would drive to
0: his house every morning. Every morning
1: and get him up out of bed and take him in and made him promise that he wouldn't drink on the set because he would have, like, bottles of vodka and he'd have the... The uh, gophers bring him drinks. So what he did instead, he swore to God he wouldn't ever do it. So what he did is he would take a big basket of oranges and he would inject them with vodka and then he would eat the oranges all day long. Oh, God. So there was no way to keep him from doing it. Occasionally he could pull himself together enough not to be you know, totally a drunkard. Yeah. But he... I don't know. He was pretty much gone after that. That rape trial really threw, pushed him over the edge in terms of his behavior. And at the same time, he still had his house at this point. Lily Demita, his first wife, is still hounding him and taking him to court over and over again. But now he's beginning to have trouble because the money isn't growing as he thought. Jack Warner hates him. Mm-hmm. hey, he hates him. But he feels like he needs him and still keeps giving him jobs. But he's not paying the taxes like he's supposed to for Demita and possibly for himself, because he's counting on his accountants to take care of it. They're not taking care of it. So then there's the interest and penalties. So mm-hmm. now he's really getting under the gun, because even though he's still making a lot of money, the taxes with the interest and penalties keeps growing astronomically, mm. plus his, his other debts, and he's buying boats, and he's you know spending money right and left. So what happens is, he's still going along, he's still okay. Raoul Walsh is trying to keep him going with these films, and he then makes a film in 1945 called Objective Burma. Now, Objective Burma is about a real fictionalized account of a real, of a real military action in Burma that was very successful. The thing is, is that the soldiers who were primarily responsible for that success were British. In the movie... They're all Americans. They're all Americans. Except for Errol Flynn. Yeah, who's not really British. Yeah. (laughs) He's uh, Australian. Australian. And so they did this film, and it did all right here, but in England, the week, the first week it had been released, they had to pull it. Because the The backlash. backlash, the English were so angry... And refused to go, and there was a like in Parliament and newspapers, and wow. and of course Errol Flynn ends up being the scapegoat and the front guy, even though he was just an actor being in the, in
0: the movie. In the film, of course.
1: Yeah, how Errol Flynn single handedly won World War Two, and then of course making fun of him for not for not dra- being in being uniform. Young. Yeah, it just gets worse and worse and worse, really, for his life. What a nightmare! There's so much going on all at once. I know, and so and did he bring it on himself? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Now. Sometime here in the late 40s, it even gets better for him, right? What happens is he finds out that he's broke. He's got all these taxes to pay, all his back alimony. His wife is suing him. Everything's going on. He finds out that his trusted business manager somehow has a mansion and a boat and two fancy Rolls Royces or whatever. I'm just making that up. But he had all of these things. And he found out, the, the business manager, that he had terminal cancer or something. He was dying. And on his deathbed, he said, tell Flynn I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, God.
1: And he took all, he had, he had embezzled all his money and spent it. Wow. Because Flynn wasn't paying attention. Yeah. You know, so it happened. And that, has, that happens to people when you've yeah. got, he, he wasn't paying any attention at all. And he trusted this guy. And the guy took all of his money and he had no money. He was broke. And so he was having such a hard time and Lily Demita ended up taking him to court and she got cirrhosis by the sea and she got all his property. She got everything. Brutal. And, and he managed to get the boat out to sea so they couldn't get it. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> and so his led his boat. Wow.
1: So things are just going downhill and just tumbling. And so so then we get into like into the you know, real late forties and early fifties and he's looking I mean he's he's still making yeah. he's still making movies as a romantic yeah you know it's a, and but he's totally
0: bloated oh yeah. his skin was so bad yeah oh. he's getting a lot of creases and wrinkles and yeah. really looking just tired bags under the eyes like i mean he's only like 39 40 years old and he yeah. looks
1: he looks like a bad 70 <laughs> i feel
0: like okay. that might make <laughs> be an exaggeration <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but
1: but he does look bad i will say it's really really bad you should just look at pictures side by side and things are going downhill and 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 yet he still has the hubris yeah to say jack warner's not paying me enough money and i'm going to go and i'm going to make my own movie and and i'm going to be able to make all this money because i'll make my own movie so he goes to europe and i guess this this happened i'm not sure where he got this money from if it was money that from something he sold or if it was that his business manager just didn't get all of his money but he put up like several hundred thousand dollars for his half and then he had these partners who were going to give him the other half and Errol he's such a flippin' stupid business guy so he goes over to Europe and he starts filming and he puts all this money in and then he runs out of money because and he goes okay give me the other half and they say oh we don't have any money <laughs> so now he's really in trouble he
0: didn't have them under contract or anything well it doesn't matter really we have can't. a
1: contract you don't have the money you don't have the money I, I mean, guess you know. So, yeah and he was totally, totally had nothing. So the business manager thing had happened. His wife was suing. Just everything was going into the crapper. It was just unbelievable. And, you know, I'm thinking, dude, you didn't get that money in escrow? You didn't have them actually pony up and show you the money? Yeah. He didn't. He's such a bad businessman. Huh. Because he just doesn't want to deal with it, you know? Yeah. And this gets him into having to face up to it again. So now he's taking It's so funny
0: how he's trusting people, even though he's not trustworthy, right? Like, it's like you can't... You know, the things you hate in other people uh, are things you hate in yourself. And, like, the things that you do, you can't see in others, like... it's so true. He really is doing that.
1: And during this time in the late 40s, he also is divorced from Nora Eddington. Now, he doesn't make the same terrible deal with her, but he owes her alimony and child support for two children. Right. So that's added in there too, and then we kind of get to what I would consider the third phase of Flynn's life, where he had bought a house and a, I guess, a hotel in, in an island near Jamaica. He loved it there. That was like his, I think, his sole place. And he had his boat there, and so he couldn't be reached there. And he did lose the hotel, but he kept his house until the very end. So he had this this one property that couldn't be reached. So he was living there, and he was going to, uh, you know, kind of make that his home base. So he did some more movies, not very, generally very good movies for the most part. he just, just to,
0: flying into the U.S. to do these movies? Or, or, or? or with
1: a boat. Okay. Yeah. You know, trying to pay off this debt for the the story of William Tell was the movie that he was going to make.
0: Right. And it just, it's
1: just all going to sh- shoot-ski. And in the meantime, while he's uh, just barely hanging on, trying to make money, trying to get it all to work... He ends up meeting his third wife, Pat Wymore. Now, Pat Wymore was an actress, a young actress, way too young for him, kind of gross. But they meet and um, fall in love and he wants to marry her. And, and Pat Wymore just sounds like she was just so much more mature than he was and so had so much compassion, somehow wanted to be married to him, even though he was an absolute irredeemable alcoholic and addict at this point. And broke. And broke, and a sex addict. He'd have her on the boat, and he'd be sleeping with other women right on the boat, and you know, whatever. But she seemed very stable and very hmm. understanding. And they, when they met, they met in a movie uh, that they filmed together. They weren't the romantic partners in that movie. They met in a film called Rocky Mountain, which is a really quite lackluster western. Yeah. And they weren't uh, they weren't paired up as romantic leads. Thank God. Ooh. Were
0: they? I don't know. I think they might have been. Oh, I think you're right. Um, They were. Yeah, uh, it was about uh, Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers have to team up to fight off the Native American attack. Right. Or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he was terrible in it. He was just... Not good movie, not good politics, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, for sure. And he was
1: terrible. He was like, he was just wooden and stiff. And I, I think he was having really a lot of problem remembering his lines. By this time, he just can't, he can't, he can't remember his lines. And uh, there's one film later on where he apparently, he was talking to the director, and he put his head down on the table and just cried and said, I can't do it, I don't know what I'm doing. Aww. I mean, it's really, it's, it is it is sad. That's how he yeah. brings himself so low, isn't it? So basically undistinguished. And then until we get to near the end, and in the last two years of his life, I won't say he pulled himself together, because he was lost. He was gone. He was drunk all the time. But he did manage to make a couple of movies that were considered at the time to be his comeback, where he gave decent performances. One was adaptation of Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises with Tyrone Power, mm-hmm. and The film itself is dull. Too long.
0: Uh, It's dull as I find Hemingway anyway. Hemingway hated it. Yeah, yeah, Hemingway hated it, and it was. was. He he did say that the only good thing about the film was Errol Flynn. Absolutely,
1: and Flynn is good in it. He's basically playing himself. Kind of a drunk, gay, uh, and when I mean gay, I mean happy...
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a little jolly. He's a little clueless. He's just kind of doddering almost. Kind
1: of of upper class guy, yeah. Yeah. And then the second movie that came right after that in the the next year, 1958, so Flynn is really only 49 years old here. He uh, plays John Barrymore in Too Much Too Soon, which is the biopic of Diana Barrymore, who is Drew Barrymore's aunt.
0: And, yeah, John Barrymore's daughter. Yes, Yes. and so he plays the, the father. And he does a very good job, poignant And almost like, I don't know, the the part, the very beginning parts about how Diana Barrymore wants to like spend time with her absent actor father on his (laughs) boat, very reminiscent of Errol's own circumstance.
1: And whether he had any consciousness about that, any awareness of how it lined up with his own life, it's hard to say. Yeah. Or he had any regrets, but he plays it quite well. And uh, so does Dorothy Malone, who plays Diana Barrymore. The movie itself is all right. It's it's worth watching, I think, but Mm -hmm. um, not stellar. But to see them was really quite good. And during this time, I guess we should uh, hasten to add, Flynn picks up his 15-year-old girlfriend. Her name is Beverly Odland. And she was uh, like a dancer, had worked in the studio. And so, again, he sent his, whoever his pimp was at the time, over to say, oh, I'd like to meet her or whatever. And, as is often the case, the mother is thrilled. Encourages it. Encourages it, is thrilled. Oh, my gosh, my daughter's going to be with this star. And and knowing, I mean, knowing what's going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. And so he took her under his wing and she became his girlfriend. And they, you know, had a relationship for a few years. Still married to Patrice Wymore. Still married to Patrice Wymore. In fact, apparently I heard that uh, at a party on the boat, Patrice Wymore and Beverly Odlin had a a fight, a physical fight, because Patrice heard Beverly call Flynn elderly. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) What a mess. I know, it really is. And so basically, um, Beverly just, you know, she was young, malleable, totally unthreatening. So all of these, you know, things that he'd had, because Patrice Weimar she really does seem like she's kind of mature uh, to a certain extent. Right. And uh, so, you know, he just, he couldn't, he
0: just couldn't, he just had to find someone who was so unthreatening. Wouldn't question any of his ways, any of his drinking or anything. And yeah, yeah it's just there to be a, com- like a companion arm candy sort yeah. of.
1: He called her small companion, Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the thing is, is she did apparently appear to love him and felt, you know, I do feel that in his final film, Cuban Rebel Girls, <laughs> which he wrote and was, and was filmed in Cuba, which is just one of the worst movies I've ever seen. She stars in it. She's not even really an actress. She can't act at all. Uh, that there, there's a, a couple scenes they have together and they really do look, compa- I have to say it, they look companionable. Mm-hmm. By now she's 17. Yeah. Okay. So she's 17, 18 years old. So she's right there and at the legal line of legality, I guess. But she seems to be very comfortable with him and he with her. So I, I just have to acknowledge that,
0: even yeah. though I abhor
1: his behavior.
0: Um, so Cuban Rebel Girls, so there's a previous film called The Big Boodle that he also filmed in Cuba, but his really relations... wasn't in it then. No. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it's actually kind of interesting because you get to see the on-location. Like, you get to see Cuba. <coughs> right at the time of the Revolution. Someone gets eaten by a shark at the end. like That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, his his relationship to Cuba is kind of interesting. These islands. He's always drawn to islands. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true in the water. Well, he was, um, again, this is very typical of uh, the adventurous man and the liberal. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he would consider himself to be pretty liberal, even though he was no, his not... His personal behavior didn't really reflect his politics, which is very common. Right, exactly. That's very true but basically he had met uh, he met castro he met che he was very into the revolution because the batista uh, government was horribly corrupt and horribly oppressive and really awful but they were okay with the united states so people could go down there and gamble that's really primarily why people would they'd fly down uh, from florida gamble drink have some prostitutes and then go back. And that was was like party party country for you know rich people in the United States. Right. But it was terrible for the people who lived there. So um, Castro uh, took over and, you know, Shea and all that. And, and everyone was like, oh, my God, revolution, yes. And, and Flynn was like, yes, revolution. So he went over there and he wrote some uh, news stories. And um, apparently there was a false uh, report that he was dead. And then everybody, like, piled on him about trying to get publicity by saying he was dead. Unfair stuff, really. I think he sincerely was
0: into the revolution. I mean, it sounds to me like... It was very romantic.
1: Yeah, That's what it was. It was a romantic thing. And what happened, at least from the little bit I've read, and I know it's probably way more complex, and I'm speaking out of my area of knowledge, but from what I understand is, yeah, there was a communistic kind of... Bent to the revolution, and that, you know, we're not going to have these capitalists or these big fat cats feeding off the people and so forth. And of course, Castro had yet to become the despot of uh, oppressing people and shutting down free speech that he was. But there was a window there where the United States could have been an ally, and because they decided that, well, we want to kill Castro and Castro heard about it, he got, he let the Russians in full tilt, and that's what created a lot of the horrible conflicts of the, the Bay of Pigs, and the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, and all that stuff, is just because they couldn't bear to even be As allies with a communist f- country, you know, because yeah. at, at that point, Castro really hadn't done anything yet, then, then he became very oppressive later, and when Flynn saw that, he was not not happy, he kind of withdrew his real approval, but that all happened right near the end of his life.
0: So he was really excited about the situation, and he was able to, like, talk with Castro, and he was making, they let him make Cuban Rebel Girls, which I thought was going to be an exciting exploitation (laughs) um, disaster, but it actually turned out to just be kind of, it's like almost it's almost a documentary yeah. and it's about how these women are like smuggling arms in and stuff right. and but it's very boring. It's very um, boring. How how still a do.
1: revolution with smuggling arms could be boring but it's really quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> and no one can act. Mm-hmm. I mean really Flynn is in it for a bit and you have to say
0: even just the voiceover it's got sparkle. It's got some zip he was clearly excited about it. he was directing it he wrote it and, and even yeah. though he was terribly terribly ill and died very soon after i think it really fit in with his persona the idea of being associated with revolution that he couldn't like because real life's too complicated to do that but he wanted to be a swashbuckler and an adventurer and a champion you know right oppress people and have a a lavish lifestyle
1: without having to pay attention to his money. Mm-hmm. It's very much the romantic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean romantic in terms of the technical meaning of romantic. All Capital that. R. And really it is, to pull Marlena in, again, just to keep that going, she did live to be like in her 90s. So she didn't, uh, but she had the same kind of Downward self-
0: spiral, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, like she had an infection in her leg while she when she got older, and she refused to see a doctor for it. She, and she almost died from this infection and uh, compression of her nerves and veins in her leg. And and then when she retired, she just wouldn't come out of her apartment and she Mm -hmm. just drank and drank and drank. Mm -hmm. And it was quite the same thing. The one thing I will say, the difference between the two of them, is that when Marlena worked, she was a consummate professional. Mm -hmm. She always knew her lines. She always had her... She made her own costumes. She was probably very annoying to some directors because she knew... But she was smart, and she knew what she was doing, and she knew how to present herself. And she was on the mark. And even going out into public and presenting herself, she was coiffed. She was perfect. She was really a consummate professional. And Flynn never had the the willingness and the drive to to discipline himself in that way.
0: She really loved her image, or that was, like, all she was living for was her image and, like... Maybe being a woman, especially. That was a piece of art. That was her value. That was, yeah, like where everything lay for her. And for Flynn, it was more, he was destroying that too. Like he was trying to destroy his own beauty as well. Yeah, it's clearly, clearly he
1: was. And he would
0: have just committed suicide if
1: he'd been 100% behind it, but he wasn't. So there's was some part of himself that was didn't want to do that. So he must've had a really high level of self-hatred. But when you look him at him on screen, he's just, just vivacious. He's, you know- until later these Mm -hmm. later periods that i'm talking about but those early days you know you just can't think of a a more
0: joyful positive person what a great acting job in that way totally i think he just uh he got to be not himself and so he was really able to like yeah be joyful right because he was living the exact like you i think the life that he wanted Yeah.
1: yeah And so um, basically what happened was he um, got the end of Cuban Rebel Girls. Things were still terrible for him financially, at getting the end. He did a little bit of TV, and uh, like the, he did the Goodyear Theater. He did the Red Skelton Hour, if anybody remembers Red Skelton, I do.
0: Skeleton, not skeleton. Yes, yeah, skeleton.
1: Like and Red Skelton was a big, big TV comedy show when I was a kid. Never thought he was funny. He always kind of played the clown red Skelton was a painter as well and he painted clowns and he had stores where oh. he just had all these clown paintings that people could go in and buy <laughs> That's that, that was a thing for a while you know <laughs> i i never thought he was funny in any way shape or form uh, he played one of his characters was clem cadiddlehopper
0: it's the best part name. was the name yeah. the name was
1: good the rest of it not so much but anyway uh so flynn finished Cuban Rebel Girls. And decided that he finally had to give up his boat. He still had his house in Jamaica, but he had to give up his boat. And he was going up to Vancouver, Canada, to sell the boat there. And he got to Vancouver, and he was hanging out with friends, and he didn't feel well. And he went in to lie down, and he was lying in there. And I guess Beverly went in, and, and a couple of the friends were there, and he just went
0: a heart attack or a stroke,
1: or uh, I think it was a heart attack, but I am not sure. Yeah. It might have just been organ failure. Brittle. I mean, he was really at the end. He just looked horrible, and his mottled complexion—you know, all mottled and pitted and bloated—and
0: ugh. So, so Beverly um, went in and found him. That must have been No, really... no, he died in Beverly's arms. That must have been traumatic. I'm sure it was.
1: She was yeah. quite quite hysterical. And then she ended up writing a book. I think her mother wrote a book about their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, you how much I can trust her that, I Her mother did. Yeah. Oh, great. And then, then Beverly ended up just getting married and being a housewife and refused to kind of talk about it. Although she was in that documentary.
0: Yeah, we saw. Yeah. And she, you know, really only spoke positively of him and right, stuff. Right, but... right. Exactly. But she was middle-aged by that time and... She was a normal middle-aged lady. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, and a lot of times even, I know I don't know for sure that she was taken advantage of. I don't know for sure that she didn't have the capacity to make consent. That's just statutory determination. But sometimes even if you are taken advantage of, you don't ever, you don't want to admit it or you, you did love the person and so you just ignore it's the t- other part. Impossible
0: to reconcile, yeah. Yeah, it can, can be. be.
1: So there's uh, just a couple of things that I forgot to mention back in the heyday of career like in the 40s when he was still living at cirrhosis by the sea and he would have friends over and this is after barrymore died so this would be in the 40s they had a kind of a club a group that hung out together and one of the members was ida Lupino, who oh. was an actor and actress and a, one of the very few or the only female director in the 50s she did not very good honestly I hate to say it because she's a woman, but I have to say it. Um, <laughs> genre kind of B movies, not because they were genre, but because the scripts just weren't that good. She wrote them with her then husband and uh, and uh, producing partner, but anyway, she and Flynn were like super super close, and she said he asked her to marry him, and she said no, which I think was wise, although she regretted it later. And they were, huh. but they were like really good friends and everything. And he was called in the club the Baron, and uh, he would call her Loopsy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know so he did manage to have some friendships with women but i think that maybe we, we'll go over um our, next favorite time, our favorite movies talk a little bit about some of the things that we love about them
0: take you back to the the reason that we wanted to talk about errol flynn in the first place i right. do want to say i think it's interesting he dies while he's giving up his boat like his last connection oh good point very symbolic ocean. that's true yeah it's yeah. so interesting yeah interesting
1: yeah and then the um uh, house in Jamaica Patrice Wymore ended up inheriting that mm. and she lived there for a while and his parents survived and they both were were alive <laughs> when he died so you know and they watched his decline it's just very interesting looking at him there's a a period where he was doing the adventures of Don Juan so it was still about 5 years till he died and he was still only in his 40s looking like he's a bad 70 <laughs> Okay, maybe not. But he's so tall, and and now he's kind of big around a little bit too. And and he's a meeting with his parents, and it's just so funny because he's looks so massive and grand and tall, and they're like these little, these little people, these little. Slender little people. It's just really funny to see that and and to know that, you know, they worried about him. And his father became very angry with him Hmm. about Beverly because they were afraid he was going to get, that he was going to be taken to court and put in jail for. Oh, with her being underage. Yeah, of course. That was upsetting. What are you doing? That was hard with their relationship. And they had been living with him in Jamaica off and on. So I don't know what happened after he died, but Pat Wymore took it over. And then one of his daughters ended up overdosing. And I, the other two, I think, just went on and did, you know, various things, acting and modeling and so forth. And then his son, Sean, is kind of the interesting one. He ended up being a war photographer and went to Vietnam. Hmm. And he went around and did a lot of uh, photography and he went into really dangerous places. And he went into places, apparently, that were too dangerous and he shouldn't have been. And he went to a, a spot with his pal to see if they could get the story, the photographs, and were captured and ended up being killed well, in Vietnam. They, they'd say he was MIA, but the, the book I read, they'd gone back and looked at it, and there was a lot of evidence that this was him. This was the American, and they, he was kept prisoner for uh, some months and then ended up being executed. Well, you know, Usually they would capture people and then trade them or something, but they, for some reason they, they didn't with him. And I mean, he kind of was taking a little bit out of his, page out of his father's book in terms of his sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And, but it must have been very hard to... Find your moorings when you had parents like that who were Mm -hmm. behaving that way. Definitely. So he died in his 20s and was gone.
0: All right. Boop, boop, boop. sad stories all around. Yeah. Oh, I hope this isn't going to be a huge downer for people. I think it's going to be okay. All right. Don't stop worrying about it. This it is did. what we did. Because we wanted... it's interesting. It's interesting, yeah. And it's um, a life full of, like, wild things happening. Obviously, our moral judgment is that, that most of them sucked, but they were interesting. Yeah. Sure were. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so next time we'll go back and we'll talk about our favorite of the films because yeah we really want to just sort of emphasize um, what's really
1: good and what's really worth it for you and
0: i don't think it's bad to have a complicated understanding of context for something like robin hood but i think we should still enjoy it it's a conversation that's really pertinent right now in a time when a lot of a lot of artists are definitely being called out called out yeah Mm -hmm. and acknowledged for their problematic behaviors and whatnot This is someone who's long dead. His legacy is long dead and everything. But we still have these pieces of art. You know, in some cases, you don't want to separate the art and the artist. Some cases you can't. And in these ones, I don't think you necessarily should either. But like you said, there are hundreds of people involved in the makings of these films. They're Mm. really incredible and inspiring. Right. And it has been a long time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's easier to accept. Especially since
1: he was a tortured person. You know, you can see at hindsight, same with Marlena that he was abused and so there's a reason behind doesn't make it okay but it makes it uh understandable and i don't want to deprive myself of how much i enjoy those films you know whereas somebody more current Mm -hmm. like say bill cosby i do not want to see him at all because it's too soon Mm -hmm. you know maybe in maybe in 50 years yeah. It would be okay to go back and go, okay, well, I can separate these things.
0: But n- when, it's, when it's right here in my mm-hmm. face, I can't. Even the Manchester by the Sea, like, I don't want to watch that. Oh, because yeah. of,
1: yeah, Casey Affleck. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I really feel like it is up to each person to decide how they feel about it. Mm-hmm. But for me, when, when time has elapsed that much, Edgar Allan Poe married his 13-year-old cousin okay, I can still read Edgar Allan Poe and like Edgar Allan Poe, Poe's writings.
0: So, And it, it, it's important to have those kinds of conversations too. We can take a look at how per- cycles perpetuate and how abuse begets abuse and things mm-hmm. like that.
1: Yeah, it is, it is. So what we're going to have fun next time and it's just going to be fun movie talk for the most part. We'll guide you to the ones that you really uh, don't want to miss. Thanks for joining us. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening